You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. The message of Easter really has the ability to either transform and change your life or just change your day. It's really up to us. When we truly understand the message of Easter, according to what the Bible says, it really has the power and the ability to radically and thoroughly change and impact your life, not just this day, but every day. Because today is a celebration of the empty tomb. It is a recognition, it is a celebration that death has finally been defeated. And the significance of Easter is not only found in the empty tomb, but it is the empty tomb of Jesus that gives us hope. Not just hope for today, but hope for all time. How many of you, by a show of hands, graduated from college and then you went away, or graduated from high school and then you went away to college? Meaning you graduated and then you, you moved maybe to another city, another town, and you kind of went to, went to college. How many of you, yeah. So how many of you realize that was a huge adjustment? For your life. Yeah, it was probably maybe one of the biggest first adjustments that you probably remember. I mean, life really is full of adjustments. You know, going away and, and moving to a, a, a different city or state and going to college, it's an adjustment. Getting married is an adjustment. Having children is an adjustment. Retiring is an adjustment. Going bald is an adjustment, you know? My point is, is life is full of adjustments. But I want to tell you, because of Easter, we have one of the greatest adjustments awaiting us. And that is that adjustment when we shed these earthly, these mortal, these corruptible bodies. When Jesus comes back, the Bible says that whether we are alive or dead, that we are going to inherit immortal, resurrected bodies. Now, I can't even, even begin to think what that adjustment is going to be like. As a matter of fact, in our small group of uh, last Wednesday night, we were talking about this very issue, the resurrection. And we were talking about what would it be like to have resurrected bodies, which we're going to have one day. One day, we are going to have, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, his promise to us is that one day we are going to have resurrected eternal bodies. And we were talking about, what would that be like? I mean, what, 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 what's that going to feel like? You know, no more pain, no more sickness, no more being tired, no more, you know, being hungry or thirsty, no more sorrow. I mean, we're, we're kind of thinking of all of these things we've kind of adjusted to in this life that we're not going to have to deal with anymore. But we're going to have all of these new opportunities awaiting us. We were just talking about, man, what an adjustment that is going to be. And again, life is full of adjustments. I remember going off to college, um, and I went to uh, Mount Pleasant. I was born and raised in Davenport, and so I went to Mount Pleasant, uh, the college there, Iowa Wesleyan College. And I lived in a dormitory, and it was kind of a concrete, you know, block uh, 
room. It kind of, it, what it, it's what I would envision if I was going to be in a jail cell, just kind of a, a cement <laughs> block. Um, and so the very first night, you know, I'm kind of getting settled in. And, you know, when you're in a new place, you kind of, you know, hear new sounds. And it's always a bit of an adjustment trying to get, you know, acclimated to a new place. And I remember I'm kind of laying there and I'd finally fallen asleep to be awakened at one o'clock in the morning by the sound of a train. And it wasn't just the sound of the train, it was the nearness of the sound of the train. I mean, I, as this thing's getting closer and closer and closer, I'm kind of beginning to envision the tracks are running right through the middle of my room. It was that loud, it was that close. And, and, and as it's kind of coming, I could kind of start to feel the room kind of vibrating, the windows rattling. Um, and, and this train came through just blaring its horn. It's one o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, good night. So I, I get up and I look out the dorm window as, the, as this train's coming down and a hundred yards from my window was this train track that I did not know was there. Two more trains came through that night. I'm laying there thinking, I will never sleep again. (laughs) And what happened was, you know, for the next couple of weeks, I would hear those trains kind of come through. I would feel those vibrations. And an amazing thing happened after a couple of weeks. You know what? I didn't hear them anymore. I didn't feel the vibrations. Oh, they came, the trains came, the the horns whistled, the windows rattled. I'd gotten adjusted. I'd gotten used to those trains coming through several times a night. As a matter of fact, after a couple of weeks, I just slept through. I didn't hear them any longer. I was no longer affected by them. The reason I tell you that story is because if we're not careful, the message of Easter, when we hear the message of Easter, that Christ is risen from the dead, the same thing can happen to us. When we hear the good news that Jesus Christ has victoriously risen from the dead, Many people, we've heard that message over and over and over again. And we've heard it so many times that we've kind of gotten accustomed to it. We've kind of gotten used to that message. And it doesn't affect us the way it once did. As a matter of fact, some of us can even sleep right through the message. We've heard the Easter story so many times, the Christmas story so many times, that to a lot of us, it it has the potential to just kind of become old news. It's old hat. It doesn't shake us, it doesn't affect us, even though it's the greatest news to ever hit planet Earth. When you hear the message that Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross for the sins of mankind, that that he was uh, declared dead and put in a tomb. And three days later, he rose from the dead with resurrection power. 
And in that resurrection power, he now had a body in which death was no longer possible. And if we're not careful, that message for a lot of us can very easily kind of just become background noise. Some of you may be hearing this again this morning and, and, and singing the songs and, and maybe you're kind of thinking to yourself, yeah, yeah, I've heard this before. Tell me something I don't know. Please don't let the message of Easter roll off like water on a duck's back. Let the message, let the proclamation of Easter resonate deeply in your heart this morning. God wants that for you. He wants that for us. It's interesting that when you go back to the very first Easter, do you realize the resurrection of Jesus Christ literally shook the earth? It's true. The first Easter morning, there was recorded an earthquake that literally shook the ground as that resurrection power surged into the lifeless body of Jesus lying there in that tomb. And I believe God wants the message and the meaning of Easter to affect us, to shake us, to make a difference in our lives not just today, but for all the days of our life. God wants that for us this morning. That is his Easter gift to you. There was an earthquake that day that shook the earth when Jesus rose from the dead. You remember in the Old Testament, when God gave the 10 commandments, it says there that the earth, the mountains shook and here's the thing, when God gets ready to do something big, something bold, something huge, the earth shakes. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead that Easter morning, there was a severe earthquake and God wants to bring a big time shaking into our lives this morning. He wants to rock our world with powerful truths. Let me just give you two of them here uh, this morning. The first truth that God wants to shake your world with as a result of Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead is proof that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he is the Son of God, the Redeemer, the Messiah. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead validates everything Jesus said about himself. It validates everything that he did. It showed the world that he was, is, and forever will be God. It validated his deity. It, 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 it validated his position, his place in the Godhead with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Now, first of all, that is a big, big claim. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. That is what I would call a mouthful. Now that word resurrection in the Greek is the word anastasis. And it means to stand up, to recover, to return to life. 
So the only way to prove that you are indeed the resurrection is you would have to die and recover, return to life, and not just recover from death, but you have to return to life in a way in which death is no longer a possibility. Now you may say, well, that's no big deal. I know of people who have died and who have come back to life. True, but they eventually go on to die again. It's interesting because the event that follows this statement Jesus makes there in John eleven twenty five is the resuscitation of Lazarus where Lazarus uh, has been in the tomb dead for four days and Jesus comes and calls him back to life. But Lazarus isn't resurrected, he's resuscitated. Meaning he comes back to life, but at some point later in his life, he will once again succumb to death. Resurrection means that you die and you recover from that death with a life, an existence in which death no longer is a possibility. And that is different than resuscitation. Resuscitation means I died, I've come back to life, but I'm gonna die again. And so Jesus claims there to be the resurrection, not the resuscitation. The other interesting thing is that anyone can make a statement like that that Jesus made there in John eleven twenty five. 25. I mean, I could come to you and I could say to you, I, Pastor Jeff, am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will not die, but will live forevermore. Now, I can say that. I I can make you that promise, but it doesn't make it true. The only question is, is can I deliver on that promise? Can I make good on that? If I'm gonna tell you that, can I make good on that promise? Jesus clearly says there, if you believe that about him, that he is the resurrection, that he is the life, that if you believe in him, though you die, yet shall you live again. Meaning you may die physically, Jesus says, but your spirit, your soul, will remain alive. And they may put you in the grave, but as a believer, Jesus says, I am the resurrection, and there's coming a day where that dead body of yours will be given a new resurrected body just like mine. And again, that's a pretty tall order, and a lot is riding on that promise. Your life beyond the grave, my life beyond the grave, your eternity, my eternity, all of that rides on can you deliver on that promise? So what does Jesus do? To prove, to convince us, to convey to us that he is the resurrection and the life. Folks, there's only one thing you can do. And that is you gotta die And then you gotta be able to overcome death in a way that death is no longer possible. And Jesus did that and doesn't do it just for himself, but he does it for you and for me as a promise, as a foretaste, as a down payment. 
I went into death, I have overcome death, I now have a resurrected body, all who believe in me, that will be your history as well. So if the resurrection of Jesus Christ validates the greatest claim he could have ever uttered, then to me the resurrection validates every other claim Jesus made. I mean, that's the big one. I mean, if you can do that, resurrect from the dead, I mean, you can just about do anything else. As a matter of fact, the resurrection's unique to Jesus. Nobody else had gone into death and overcome death and came out of the grave with a body in which death was no longer possible. Jesus Christ, his resurrection, it's God's sign to us. It's, it's, it's God's proof to us. It's his validation to us that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. He is who the Bible claims him to be. Through the resurrection, God is saying to you and me, if you really wanna know if Jesus Christ is truly the son of God, if you wanna be able to put your faith and trust in him, as the resurrection and the life, if you're really searching for assurance that his death on the cross fully satisfied God's wrath for sin, if you want the proof that his death completely satisfies my wrath against sin, then God the Father says, I will prove it beyond any shadow of a doubt. I will raise him from the dead. And Paul says in Romans 1-4, this is one of my favorite Easter scriptures, and Jesus Christ, our Lord, was shown, what was demonstrated, was proven to be the Son of God when God powerfully raised him from the dead by means of the Holy Spirit. God the Father did that so that you and I could have absolute proof that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. And again, the resurrection is unique to Jesus only. There were many times where, where others would come and they would claim to be the Son of God. They were back in Jesus' day. We have them in our day, people who claim to be the Son of God. We've got people running around claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be sent from God to redeem mankind. There are many who are gonna come even in the, the days to come, claiming to be the Messiah. And the question is, can you back it up? Can you prove it? The one thing that sets Jesus apart from any other man who ever was or ever will walk the face of the earth who claimed to be the Messiah is that Jesus Christ was resurrected just as he claimed he would be. Those who died claiming to be the Messiah, those who said that if you follow me, you'll have eternal life, they died, go, go into the grave, and they stayed in the grave. Jesus made that promise of being the resurrection and the life. He died, went into the grave, rose three days later just as he said he would, and he came out with a body that was eternal, that would never ever succumb to death again. Some people like to take the Bible and they like to turn it and twist it and make it kind of say all kinds of things. It was never intended 
to say. And, and sometimes people like to kind of take the Bible and they like to strip it of all of the, uh, the, the miraculous and supernatural. And, and they'll say, well, you know, uh, it, it's really not all that important to believe that Jesus rose bodily uh, from the grave in order to be our Savior. He, he didn't have to resurrect from the dead in order to be our Savior. I'm like, yeah, he did. He can't save you if he's dead. He can't give you life if he doesn't have life himself. What good is a dead savior? Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if Christ has not been raised, in other words, if he's still in the grave, the Bible says your faith is worthless. And you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Some of you are here this morning and, and you're thinking about loved ones that have gone on to heaven. And part of what gives you peace and comfort this morning is knowing that dead in the body, alive unto God. And, and we live with that promise that one day, not only will we see them, but we will behold the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who is alive forevermore. Good Friday, when Jesus died on that cross, and we had a, a beautiful celebration of that here this past Friday. Jesus Death on the cross. Do you realize it's only good news? It's only Good Friday because of Easter Sunday? It's what gives meaning to his death upon the cross is his resurrection from the dead. And those two come together. Easter morning is what gives meaning and purpose to the death he suffered on Good Friday. If Jesus had died on the cross and stayed dead, he can't save you and he can't save me because he's a dead savior and a dead savior can't save anybody. I mean, you think about it. If Jesus died and remains dead, if that's what you believe here this morning, then my message to you is simply this. Eat, drink, and live, for tomorrow you die. That's all that's left. Make the most of this. If that's what you believe, if Jesus did not die from, rise from the dead, then ultimately none of this really matters. But if Jesus did, and I believe he did, and I know many of you believe that he did, if Jesus rose from the dead, then nothing else really matters except Jesus. Following him, getting to know him, surrendering your life to him. So let this truth rock your world. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is risen indeed. Number two, my final point, to rock your world. Because of Easter, you can be forgiven and transformed. Probably the greatest part of the Easter message is that he is risen, and because he is risen, we now have the opportunity 
the invitation to be forgiven and transformed. That is good news. Look at what Jesus said to the disciples, the resurrected Christ, as he meets with his disciples there in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47. And Jesus said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And get this, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The resurrection is also a confirmation that because Jesus is God in human flesh, that he has the power, the position, the authority, the right to forgive sin and to discharge sinners. Amen? The word forgiven there, it's a legal term. It, it means to be dismissed. It means to pardon. It means to set free, to give release. It's as, it's as if you're the defendant in a trial and you've been found guilty of breaking the law. And it's as if you stand before the judge and the judge just simply looks at you and, and he says, you know what? The charges against you have been completely dropped. You're free. You are not guilty. You're no longer accused of what it was you've done. It's been dismissed. Now go. You're free. That, that's the message of Easter. The death of Jesus Christ upon the cross on Good Friday and his resurrection from the dead on Easter Sunday. I mean, you take those two messages and you couple them together, and, and what it does is it creates a pathway for forgiveness for you and for me. Now, maybe you're here this morning, and as you kind of hear that message, that invitation, that possibility of being forgiven, of being pardoned, of being released, of being set free, maybe completely having the slate of your life wiped completely clean. And maybe you're tempted and you're sitting there thinking this morning, oh pastor, if you only knew what I have done. Pastor, if you knew my past, if you could see some of the things that I have done and said, pastor, you would say that that's not true for me. I believe that for everybody else, but pastor, I just believe that I have lived such a bad, such a rebellious, such a sinful life that, that pastor, if you knew my story, you would tell me that yes, you could never be forgiven, you could never be pardoned. You would say, God can't forgive me for, and you just fill in the blank. Some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, I've done some things I can't even find words to form what I've done. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, I wish God could forgive me. I would, I would love that. But as I look at my past, I just believe I'm beyond redemption. If that's you this morning, listen. 
when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, not only did it prove that he was who he claimed to be, God in human flesh, it also proved that he has the right, the power, the authority, the ability, the position to forgive all sin. Past, present, future. Regardless of the kind of sin, the repetition of that sin, or the volume of that sin. Nothing you have ever done Nothing you will ever do will ever be more powerful than the blood and the cross of Jesus Christ. There was often a point of conflict. If you've read the Bible a time or two, you'll see that. A lot of conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. In Mark chapter two, a paralytic, a man who was unable to walk, is brought on a stretcher by his friends. And they brought him to Jesus for healing. And there in verse five, it says, and Jesus seeing their faith, and that is the people who brought this man on the stretcher, Jesus sees their faith. And he says to the paralytic, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Then it goes on and it says, but some of the scribes were sitting there and they're thinking and they're reasoning in their heads and their hearts. Why does this man, Jesus, why does he speak this way? He's blaspheming for only God can forgive sin. Those scribes were right. Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead not only proved that he was the son of God, but that he also had the right, the authority, the power, the position to forgive sin and to declare the guilty innocent. And one of the things that follows forgiveness is a transformed life. One of the things I love about the gospel, and I'm sure many of you love the same thing, is you read every gospel account and you encounter people who were once sinners, meet Jesus, and their life is forever changed. One such person was a lady by the name of Mary Magdalene. You may not know a lot about her. She was the last to leave Calvary when Jesus was crucified, and she was the first one to encounter him after his resurrection. Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene. He loved Mary. And if you don't know a lot about Mary, you may be kind of tempted to sit there and think, wow. She must have been some righteous, some really great saint of God. Well, she's, she must have been like a Mother Teresa. Ah, wasn't the case at all. Look what it says about Mary Magdalene in Luke chapter eight. And the 12 were with Jesus and also some women who had been healed or delivered of evil spirits and sickness. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Seven demons. 
Have you ever met anybody that was possessed with seven demons? I've met people that are possessed with a few. I don't know that I've ever met anybody possessed with seven. It's a scary thing when you start thinking about someone who is possessed, who is manifesting seven demons. If you're into biblical numerology, seven is the number of completeness. God created the heavens and the earth in six days, rested on the seventh. It was uh, 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 the number seven, a sign of completion. And it speaks here of the fact that Mary Magdalene was possessed with seven demons. Again, biblical numerology would suggest that she was fully, she was completely demon-possessed before she met Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter seven, we have the story of the immoral woman who barges into a, a dinner gathering, sees Jesus, falls at his feet, and, and she just begins to weep. They said she was a prostitute, and she comes to the party where Jesus is, and she just comes in, and she just falls before him, and, and she's weeping over his feet, and she's using her hair to dry his feet she anoints his feet with oil. People in the early church, historians, biblical scholars say that that woman there was Mary Magdalene. It's a reminder of a person who was once completely, thoroughly demon-possessed, who has an encounter with Jesus and she is delivered, and her life is never the same. Look at what Jesus did for Mary Magdalene, and maybe you're here this morning, and you're just saying to yourself, I've done such terrible, horrible things. I would guess to venture, you can't hold a candle to Mary Magdalene and her sins, and yet Jesus completely forgave her, dismissed her, set her free, and declared her innocent. Again, the power of Jesus' death on the cross on Good Friday, coupled together with his resurrection life, is a testimony that the worst of sinners cannot only be forgiven, but transformed as well. I love what it says in Luke 7, when that woman weeps at his feet, Jesus says to her in verse 48, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. That may be one of the greatest gifts for some of you this morning. Maybe you've come into this place this morning and you're just, you're feeling heavy, you're feeling burdened, you're feeling weighed down, you're feeling beat up by life. And God's message to you this morning, his desire, his heart for you is to be able to get up, walk out this door, and go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. You have been healed. That's the good news of Easter. And the choice this morning is as simple as it can get. Listen to what it says in uh, 1 John 5, 11. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. That's another word for resurrected life. Resurrected life is eternal life. And he says, and this life, 
This resurrection life is in his son Jesus. And he says, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. Folks, it doesn't get any simpler than that. If you have the son, you have life. You don't have the son, you don't have life. I love what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world. That includes you and me. And it wasn't just the saved world. It wasn't just the saintly world. It wasn't just the righteous world. It was the world, the whole world, everybody in the world. Good, bad, righteous, unrighteous, uh, you know, good, evil, all the world. God so loved the world. And because of that love, out of that love, he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever, that means any of us, who believe in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Get that. A lot of times our evangelism, it's about sin. It's about hell. It's about damnation. It's about the wrath of God. That's not what Jesus said in John 3. He said that the, uh, uh, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God is a saving God. He is a loving God. He is a gracious God. He is a merciful God. And that's why he so loved the world. It's why he sent his one and only begotten son. And it's why he came not to condemn us, but to save us. And of course, Paul lays it out in the simplest of terms there in Romans 10, 9 through 10. You've heard me talk about this before. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Now maybe you've never heard that scripture verse before. I know many of you have, but for those of you that haven't, let me just take one minute and I wanna just break that down for you. Confessing Jesus as Lord, what Paul says there, is simply believing Jesus is God. That he was in the beginning with God, that he has eternally been one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and forever will be, that he took on human flesh. He left heaven, took on human flesh, came among us as a man in the incarnation. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. God became a man. He was a perfect man, without sin, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death for my sins, for your sins, for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. And it says, when I make that confession, when I speak those words out of my mouth, Jesus is Lord. The Bible says it results, it produces salvation. I'll never forget the day I said those words mixed with just the size of a mustard seed of faith. I didn't understand everything I just told you but I understood that if I just said those words in faith, Jesus is Lord, it would result in salvation, and I was born again instantly. Now, when I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and that's what this morning is all about. That's what the Easter message is all about, is that we're here to, we're proclaiming, we're celebrating that God raised him from the dead. 
And the Bible says when we believe that, it results, it produces, it brings forth righteousness. And that simply means I'm in right standing with God. It means I am now a friend of God's. Not perfect, but I'm on my way to perfection. As a sinner, I'm separated from God by my sins. And I'm not in good standing. I'm not in right relationship with him. However, when I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, it results in good, right standing with my heavenly Father. Again, notice it doesn't say we need to believe in our hearts that God, you know, that, that Jesus died for our sins. It doesn't say that. Now, that's a, a marvelous, it's a beautiful biblical truth. Jesus did die for our sins. That's not what Paul says we need to believe in. Paul says we need to believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. So when I confess and say those words, Jesus is Lord, and believe God raised him from the dead according to God's holy word, his promise to me is that, that with that confession of uh, my mouth, it will result in salvation. With that belief in my heart, God raised him from the dead, that results in righteousness, and I'm born again. I'm a child of God. I am a son and a daughter of the Most High, and nothing will ever change that, and nothing will ever overcome or defeat that truth. Through Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, God has done it all to bring to you and me forgiveness, a promise of eternal life. And I'll tell you what, if God were to do any more this morning to save you, he would have to violate your free will, and God's not gonna do that. It's a free gift to you and me. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, will we receive that gift? Because God is not gonna force it on you. And this morning, God has placed before us the choice between life and death because as Romans 10, 13 says, and it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who, what's the name of the Lord? Paul says, Jesus is Lord. That's the name of the Lord. When you call upon the name of Jesus, it says you will be saved. I'm just gonna invite you to stand uh, this morning. And I'm just gonna pray a prayer. And I just invite you this morning, if you have never ever thought about this, maybe you're here this morning and, and you've never made a profession of faith, maybe you've never said those words, Jesus is Lord. And, and again, you don't have to understand everything about those three words, but you just need that mustard seed of faith that says, you know what? I believe that. I believe that. And because I believe that, I, I'm gonna speak that out. And it'll produce salvation. And then I just believe as, as, as that instantly happens that God will just begin to impart belief to your heart that, that you'll, you'll also believe that God did raise him from the dead. Man, I came here this morning thinking it was about Easter bunnies and Easter baskets and Easter egg hunts. And man, Easter's so much bigger than that. Yeah, it is. And maybe you've never, ever made that profession of faith. I'll never forget the day I did that. It changed everything for me. And I know for all of you that have done that, it's changed everything for you. 
So maybe you're here this morning, you've never, ever done that. I'm just gonna pray a prayer and just ask you to just pray along with me in your heart. And I'm just gonna lead you in, in kind of a, a prayer of repentance that just simply says, God, I'm sorry. And God, I thank you, Lord, that, that there's no sin, no matter how great or, or how many times I've done that sin, there's no sin, God, that your blood, that the cross of Christ cannot overcome. And, and you're just simply acknowledging that you need a savior. You can't save yourself. I can't save myself. Every one of us needs a savior, and God the Father sent the Son to be our savior. So Father God in heaven, I come to you this morning in the mighty, the powerful, the glorious name of your son Jesus. I acknowledge to you, Father, that I, that we here together this morning are sinners in need of a savior. And Father, this morning we just repent, we turn from the sins in our life. We turn from the rebellion in our lives. We, we turn from the attitudes, Lord, of trying to live life apart from you. And Father, this morning, we just ask for your forgiveness. And we thank you that the blood of Christ assures us that what we ask for in terms of forgiveness has already been given. Father, we thank you for that. We believe that your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, shed his precious blood at the cross of Calvary, that he died in our place for our sins. And Father, this morning, we willingly turn from our sins to follow you. Father, we thank you in your word that you said that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I just give you a moment, if you've never said those words, just say those words this morning, Jesus is Lord. And Father, we thank you that your word says, Lord, that if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Nothing more. That's it. So right now, Father, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And with our hearts, we believe. And we celebrate that you raised Christ from the dead. And we know the very moment we accept Christ as our personal Savior, that according to your holy word, according to the example of so many throughout eternity that we are saved and now in right standing with you. Father God, we thank you for your unlimited mercy and grace. I thank you, Father, that your word says in Psalm 23 that it's your mercy and grace follows us all the days of our life. We thank you, Father, that that mercy and grace was made available to us through the death and resurrection of your Son. As we give our life to you, Father, we ask that you would transform our lives in such a way that it may be glory and honor to you and to you alone. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son that in his death we can have forgiveness and through his resurrection, eternal life. And this we all pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. I was just... You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org.